This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of the bestseller experiment. Pro Writing Aid is so much more than a grammar checker. It's a style editor and writing mentor all in one package. What's more, Pro Writing Aid integrates the Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Go to ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the discount code BXP. That's ProWritingAid.com, choose your license length, and enter the code BXP. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this special episode from the archives. This is a golden oldie full of great evergreen advice for writers. It's a rerun, basically. Whilst we work on something very, very special. Or very, very special indeed. We were so young and naive, weren't we, Mark? Oh, we were, but our guests, our guests were brimming with wisdom. So enjoy. And we'll be back next week with a brand spanking new episode of The Bestseller Experiment. To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of The Bestseller Experiment by the two Marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we attempt to write, publish and market a best-selling book in just 52 weeks. My name is Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark State. And before we dive into today's show, we'd just like to thank our sponsors, Scrivener, the official writing app of the bestseller experiment. Scrivener is a lifesaver. We are using it to write our future best-selling novel. And if you haven't tried it, you must get along to their site to try their 30-day free trial at literatureandlatte.com. And you can also find the links on our website at bestsellerexperiment.com. And whilst you're at our website, don't forget to download your very own copy of our guide to writing a bestseller called The Writer's Vault of Gold. Simply sign up to our mailing list to get your own copy today. We thought we'd get along an author who's tried NaNoWriMo, but not just any author. We've got the wonderful Robin Stevens, a best-selling author of the wonderful Murder Most Unladylike mystery series, uh, which are these brilliant uh, detective stories set in a, a boarding school in in England in the 1930s, featuring uh, two young detectives, Daisy Wells and Hazel Wong, also known as the Wells and Wong series. And... Um, Robin, uh, I used to work with Robin at Orion. She was someone who was in the office uh, and, you know, was always a fun person to be around. And then suddenly she left. I was like, where did she go? She got a book deal. <laughs> so, <laughs> and she's, she's gone on to huge success. So, and Robin is, is interesting because she's actually had success on both sides of the Atlantic in that she's got a book deal in the UK and the book deal in the US. And what was really interesting is uh, after we did this interview, my, my son came home and I was telling him about uh, Robin because she writes for middle grade. And for people that don't know, and I didn't know this, so I'm going to explain it. Middle grade is the kind of genre of, or the age group under young adult, typically eight to 12 mark would you say is that? Is that yeah, I'd, I'd say it's about I ideal. Yeah, yeah so, so it's Harry Potter basically, isn't it? Uh, certainly the first, a couple first, of Harry Potters, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first two, maybe, yeah. So yeah. middle grade, and and so my son, who is twelve, he he came and he said, "Oh, Daddy, 
we've got one of her books in our classroom. Yeah, really exciting. <laughs> so that was brilliant out here in Canada, and, and it's. Uh, She's, she's absolutely lovely, as you'll discover. And I think it's, it's a really neat to actually also have, this is our first author we've had on the show who actually writes for children. And I know that that's a huge, huge thing. I mean, in terms of, Mark, your book, Robot Overlords, was, was actually a children's book, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that's... Um... I always say it's for anyone with sort of reading age of 10 plus, you know, yeah. it's, uh, the film was made for children. So it, the book needed to be for children as well. Absolutely. So if you're writing, a, if you're looking to write a best-selling book in the children's world, you're going to learn loads. But also you'll also, if you're not writing a book in the kids world, you're going to learn a lot from Robin as well, because a lot of what she talks about is applicable to writers generally as bestsellers. Totally. So let's have a listen to absolutely lovely Robin Stevens. Robin, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. Now, you are the author of the magnificent uh, Murder Most Unladylike mystery series, uh, which I read the first one over the summer, and I absolutely adored it. It's real page turning. If you like a murder mystery and you like boarding schools and you like proper English crime, uh, this is definitely for you. But And this is what they've called middle grade fiction, isn't it? It is. And we were just talking about the fact that it is a middle grade mystery. It's for nine to 12 year olds. And there really is a murder in it. There are, there are dead bodies. They pile up. That's what astonished me. Someone actually dies. I was waiting for, you know, it was saying, oh, maybe this is just a fake out. Maybe at the end it'll be, you know, everything's OK. But no, someone actually genuine. And it's a proper mystery as well. I, I was kept guessing right to the end. Thank you. I was sort of imagining um, getting an Ina Blayton book and putting it into Agatha Christie. So my detectives are 13 years old. Um, but they're really solving a murder. Now, one of the reasons we got you here today is we're in the middle of NaNoWriMo. Yep. And as I understand it, NaNoWriMo played a part in kickstarting your career. Would it be fair to say that? It did. And I mean, I didn't know it was kickstarting my career at the time. Um, it was 2010, I think. And um, I had just left university. I always knew I wanted to write a book. I wanted to be an author. But I had never actually sat down and finished a novel as an adult. Um, and I heard about NaNoWriMo and I thought that I should give it a go. So on about the 29th of October, I went to a cafe, um, wrote down the title, wrote down the victim, the murderer, and about two other things, and then went for it on the 1st of November. And I wrote a horrible first draft over that month, I think. It didn't actually end. It just sort of stopped at um, 50,025 words because I was just sick of it. And then I came back to it the next spring, uh, thought there actually might be something to it, almost completely rewrote the whole book, um, gave it an ending, rewrote it again. In 2013, I sent it out to agents, found one, found Gemma Cooper. She sold it to um, what was then Random House and it came out in 2014. Wow. Congratulations, Robin. That's quite an adventure. Very inspiring for everyone who's probably maybe even listening to this podcast as they, you know, procrastinate instead of writing their 1,666 words in November. But yeah. did, when you started on that process, Robin, were you was it more just about writing the book or did you, have you had, did you have a dream even growing up that you wanted to become an author that maybe one day you could see your name on a book and become a best-selling author? Always. Um, I, I think I didn't really understand what being published was or what that, what author was as a career. Um, but I knew I loved storytelling. I loved writing. I loved reading and I wanted to, I definitely wanted to do that 
as an adult in a sort of really dim way as, as a child. And then I grew up and learned more about books and really started thinking about that as a, as a career path. But it did seem like a dream. It did seem sort of impossible. So I wrote, I, I wrote the book really on a whim as something I would want to read, not, not really for anyone. Brilliant. And because we also, we're also finding from best-selling authors that they almost have this real belief and sense that it could actually happen. Was that the case with you as well? I actually, at the very beginning, I think it was completely the opposite. I thought it could never happen. And so I wrote, I just wrote this book because I mean, who, who has ever read a book where children solve a murder? That's, that isn't a thing that I could, I couldn't think about any other book that existed and think I want to be like that. Um, so I just kind of went a bit crazy and wrote this book. And I, I remember thinking, wondering who it was for, um, you know, showing it to my mother and saying, what is this book? Have I written a children's book? Have I written an adult book? And it wasn't until I found that agent and she said to me, let's make this into a book for children that it kind of clicked in my head and I realized who I was writing for. That's astonishing to me that this book came out of your first attempt at NaNoWriMo. Because most people do NaNoWriMo and, you know, they'll have something at the end of it. But what made you persevere after that? Because you said you had a first kind of a first draft that wasn't quite finished, but there was clearly something that made you go back and work on it. I think I'd been to boarding school and um, found it to be a little bit like Ina Blyton, but a, quite a lot not like Ina Blyton. And I was always very interested in the distance between reality and the book world that I read about. Um, and so I think the idea of setting a book at boarding school was something that I had wanted to do for a long time. It was kind of percolating in my head. So I feel like this was a book that I kind of had meant to write for a long time. But, um, and I think NaNoWriMo really was just the impetus for me to sit down and do it. So it was, yes, it was my first, my first try, but I had been writing little bits of things for a long time. It kind of, I think those were my practices. And this was kind of the moment that I sat down and was like, okay, let's make this real. That's fantastic. And just what I loved about what you said earlier, Robin, about Enid Blyton meets Agatha Christie's. I mean, you've taken two absolutely brilliant classic kind of authors, both in the, obviously in the children's world and, and in the adult world. Was that something that kind of developed as a theme as you wrote? Or was it something that you thought about, wouldn't it be great to maybe take two of your, are they, I guess, your favorite authors and, and kind yeah. of mash them together? How, which, which, how did it happen? Um, that's, it's something, it's like the thing where you, you get a dart and you throw it on the ceiling and it sticks and you couldn't have done it on purpose, but you just randomly did. I, I, if I'd been thinking about it now, I would be like, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> but, um, at the time I just kind of did it. Um, and now I look back and I'm like, well done. I mean, the thing, uh, because after I, after I wrote the book, I ended up, I'm working in publishing for a while, which is actually how I met Mark initially. Um, and I learned that the thing you really should do is have an elevator pitch for your book, have one sentence that sums up the plot and the idea to get the, get another person listening going to go, Oh, um, and you know, saying Agatha Christie meets Ina Blyton is, is pretty much what my elevator pitch would have been. Mm. Going back to NaNoWriMo, there are going to be a lot of listeners out there. This, you know, probably stuck in that muddy middle, um, listening to you and thinking, that could be me, um, but maybe struggling. Uh, how did you get through it? Are there any sort of top tips for getting through NaNoWriMo? I think the first tip is to be just really um, hard on yourself. Make yourself write those 1,660 
seven words per day just Sorry, do it yeah. even if even if yeah well I think I, I remember when I did I rounded up because I was like I want to be like three words ahead of my 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 goal every day getting to the end of the 50,000 and find you like five words exactly. short like, no <laughs> exactly um but I am I learned to be really rigorous myself and even on the days where I didn't know what I was doing I mean I remember because I really hadn't planned that much and actually I would advise anybody writing NaNoWriMo to at least have a basic idea of where you're going, which I really did not. And um, I didn't have time for things like making up people's names because I was also, I was working um, at a bookseller, Blackwell's full time. So and then coming home at night and kind of writing. So I was exhausted and kind of confused. And so everybody didn't have names, they had question marks. Um, and so um, Daisy and Hazel would go and talk to a suspect question mark and turn to their friend question mark. Um, so I would say sort of slightly force it through. If Don't worry about little fancy details. Just get that plot down, get the words down, and then you can go back and change them. I would also say that it's really important to remember that first drafts are awful. You're not writing beautiful prose. All first drafts are awful. Um, I just recently wrote my sixth book, the first draft of that. Um, and at about halfway through, I just realized that I couldn't write books. I was a horrible author. I couldn't plot. There was, you know, I was going to be fired basically for my job. Um, and I emailed my friend who's also a writer and she said, how many words are you at? Are you at 33,000 words? And I was like, yes, I am. And she was like, that's the moment when everybody wants to give up. Everybody cries and despairs and says that they just can't do it. If you just keep writing, just keep putting down words on the page, you will somehow get through the middle bit to the exciting bit at the end that you've always wanted to write. That's good to know, though. That oh. the the thirty three thousand point is is where you hit the the yeah. first the first sticking point. Yeah. And as soon as she told me that, I thought back and I realized every single time it's about thirty three thousand words that you just you want to give up. And I think that's where people do give up. Um, but my tip would be just keep writing words and you'll get to the end and then you can make it better well, um, talk about getting to the end you said you didn't have an ending when you did NaNoWriMo so let's but you yeah. went back to it so let's let's talk about the because it's important to finish stuff in the first place isn't it I mean let's talk about it is. And I wouldn't recommend not finishing your book now again for anyone doing NaNoWriMo do finish it um, because you'll want that later um I, I did know where I was going. I think I didn't finish it because I did have a really clear idea of um, who the murderer was going to be, how they would unmask them. Um, but I was just exhausted. I had never written a, a mystery novel. I didn't really understand. I mean, I'd read them a lot, but I didn't really understand how to actually go about writing one. And um, going back to the book in the spring and finishing it, I, I was able to make a tighter middle um, and then kind of get to the end in, in a much more triumphant way. Um but endings are hard, as as any author will tell you. And I think I was perhaps slightly nervous about doing it the first time around, feeling so stressed at the end of end of November. Do you find now, though, Robin, that you you tend to have an ending in mind when you start writing, or does the ending always kind of evolve as you write? Um, I I usually tend to have quite a clear idea of the sort of denouement scene where they unmask the murder, and it's really exciting, and I just want to get to it, and I just can never be bothered with the middle bit where they're walking around and um, investigating. And every single time my editor reads the first draft and says, could they find a few more clues? Could they actually go and investigate the suspects instead of just sitting there and, and talking to each other? And of course, then the light bulb switches on and I go, surely, surely they should. And the second draft is a lot more active. Um, definitely, thank goodness for my editor. Editors are incredible human beings. 
We've, um, we've talked about editors on here before. When you're first outlining a book, do you present that to the editor or do you go, do you wait until the first draft? I'm a little strange because of what my books are. Um, as they're murder mysteries, I want my editor, editor to be my first reader um, to check and see if she can get the mystery or if she is confused is, or is fooled. I don't want to be totally confused. I want that that correct balance of kind of not being sure but being almost there. Um, but what I will do is give her a character list of all of the people who are going to be in the book, not telling her who the murderer and the victim are. And then inevitably she comes back and says, there are too many characters here. And I cut them out. And um, so she is somebody who always helps me sort of tighten it and hone and rewrites. Now, you, you got to the end of NaNoWriMo. You had something that's essentially, I mean, we've talked about this. It's, it's like having a big jigsaw puzzle in pieces and you have to go back and really put it together again. How important are rewrites to you? Incredibly. And I think this is something when I go visit schools, I say, and kids mouths just drop open because I do maybe five drafts per book. And um, the first draft is the horrible NaNoWriMo draft where nobody has a name and the plot doesn't make any sense. Um, then my editor will look at it, suggest a lot of really big level, like broad changes. Um, I'll go back in and I would say probably rewrite half of the words would be different. It's it's always massive. Um, and then the, the third draft, fourth draft, fifth draft are getting tighter and tighter less things are changing each time. Um, but my books wouldn't be as good as they were if I stopped at the second draft, or especially if I stopped at the first draft. I need those rewrites to actually um, make the book what the reader will will read. I was talking to a friend today, actually, and describing the first draft is like, you're making the skeleton, you're putting the bones together, and you're not doing it quite right. And some of the bones are facing the wrong way, and it doesn't look great. And then second draft, you're starting to put on, you know, flesh, and um, and then by the end, you've clothed them, and they, they look beautiful, and you put makeup on them, and they're ready to walk out the door. Is there a moment, Robin, where you, you actually know the book is done, though? Because I guess one of the challenges is that there's always something else that can be changed or added. I mean, what, what point do you actually draw a line and say, it's done, I finished? The deadline, <laughs> which is a slightly, Brilliant. I know, um, there's a slightly um, pat response, but... Um, no, I think I, it's very relevant. At the moment, I'm writing, I'm writing, yeah, I'm writing two books a year, and um, so I have to be quick in doing each draft I have to be my my editor and I have to work together um to get the thing you know polished beautiful by by the time it needs to be printed um and I do think actually that NaNoWriMo was the most incredible um sort of learning ground for that um these days when I'm doing a first draft I will do 2,000 words a day and I think that has to have come in my brain from NaNoWriMo and just knowing that that's it's not too many words it's not you know it's, that's about two hours, um, really solid, strong writing. And um, NaNoWriMo, I think, really taught me how to write quickly, write unfussily, and just get it get it done. Um, and, you know, then and then editing it over the next year taught me how to go back and, and sort of polish. But I think NaNoWriMo really taught me um, my, the structure that I keep using today. So do you still have like a specific word count that you try to do as opposed to an amount of time per day? Yeah, I, I think word count is um, the more useful way of structuring because if you're saying I'm going to write for four hours, three hours, you'll end up spending on Twitter or making a Pinterest board or something is going to come up and or emailing. Um, but if you say I have to write 2,000 words, 
the computer will not lie. It will tell you have not written 2,000 words. Um, but I think also NaNoWriMo taught me um, how to write fast. So generally, I know that will take me about two hours, two hours, three hours of pretty quick work. And then I go on to do the rest of my day. You, you mentioned making a, a Pinterest board. Is that something that you do use as reference for? Because, you know, you're talking about old British boarding schools here uh, and it's difficult to get inside them. Of course, you'll have your own memories and experiences from that. But there's something I do because I find if I have to describe a location, if I try and do it from my head, it turns out to be quite, you know, the same bland thing you've seen a million times. But if, yeah, I can get sucked into Pinterest looking for, you know, magnificent landscapes and whatever to describe. But is that something that, that, that you can do? I mean, definitely. I have a Pinterest board for each book. Some of the Pinterest boards are more just pictures of the book in the stores that people have sent me. Um, but I always like to find old pictures of like locations that I'm sending my characters to, um, places they go into, you know, what what a bun would have looked like in the 1930s. Because, you know, things things do change. And I'm, I'm writing historical novels and sometimes I'll describe things and th I'm thinking, I'm describing the way that would look now. And I need to go and um, Google or, you know, look through historical books. I've got a massive book of um, uh, adverts from the 1930s that I use a lot wow. to get to get the way like a chocolate bar you would have looked then. That's, that's excellent. I love the fact that you, you know, you, you have to stop yourself and think about how things have changed. It must be a fascinating process for you in some ways becoming part of that world. It is. And I sort of, I hope every time that I'm sort of getting more used to just thinking that way and, and checking myself and um, researching, but there always, there's always something that slips through. I'm, you know, I try hard, but what I end up having to say to myself and to readers is that I'm trying to get more the atmosphere of of the time and place than being rigorously, rigorously correct. Um, I'm trying to get the Agatha Christie feel instead of um, writing a history book for you. It's something we talked about in uh, the, the second episode with Juliet, Juliet Ewers, and she was saying, you know, with historical novels, the worst thing is you get historical novelists who've done the research and by gum, they're going to make sure you know about it. And, you know, you can't let that bog, particularly in a children's book as well, you can't let that bog down the story. I mean, yeah, so I sort of used my historical research first to basically understand what was going on at the time. So a character can say, oh, you know, jolly old king and, and I know who that was um, and then just knowing little things and just dropping in like a detail but my story has to be the murder it has to be about the characters it can't be about what it was like in 1935 um, in my new book mistletoe and murder it was um, 1935 Christmas it was one of the warmest Christmases on record but in my book it snows and snows and snows because I've written a Christmas novel <laughs> <laughs> now Robin one of the things that fascinates me about yourself and you're a rare breed of author in that you've actually had transatlantic success not only in the UK but also in North America as well tell us how that came about um, I'm very, very lucky that my books have um, been sold in other territories um, and have actually even been translated. Um, I've got them in um, French, German, Italian, um, Taiwan. Taiwan has got them now. They're going to be in Thai. They're going to be in Polish um, and obviously as well, um, America. Um, it's actually a different publisher. It publishes me in America. It's Simon & Schuster instead of Puffin. So I've got completely different covers, completely different titles mm. for the first two. Um, it's really been fascinating it almost is a process of translation um, because we have to change you know there's some words like term they want to change to semester so um, American kids 
who may not know much about England can kind of understand. Um, and most of the changes are quite small, little cosmetic things. It's nothing about the plot. Um, my favorite um, translation is they're, they're games knickers in English. They, they wear um, athletic underwear in America. <laughs> Oh, I could tell you I could tell you a story or two about the word pants and trousers over here in Canada. <laughs> oh, yes. It's got oh, me yes. into trouble many times. But um, <laughs> what, what I'd be interested in, in knowing, Robin, is what, what, what came first, though? Did you, did you have your success initially in the UK and then got picked up by a US publisher or did they happen simultaneously? What's the process behind it? It was, um, I got my UK publisher first um, and then I think because um, US publishers knew I was going to be published in the UK. My agent could could show them the book and say, you know, this this is going to be a thing. Do you are you interested? Um, so I think it was about six months after I got my UK deal, I got my US deal. So it was before the first book was published. Um, the US books are being published much more slowly. So only two of them are out there at the moment, which is a little bit odd. Um, it's kind of like going back in time. I'm checking. I'm sort of checking the third book in the US and writing the fifth book in the UK simultaneously. That's interesting because you don't often get to revisit old books. Having looked at books one and two, it, it, is there a feeling like, oh, I could have changed that, I should have updated that, or are you happy with them as they are? Or uh, It was actually sort of nice. Um, to, I sort of like reading through them again and remembering um, where I was when I wrote them the first time and, and remembering the characters as well because after you've written five books, I mean, I really do my best to kind of keep characters consistent. Um, but there are little details that I'm like, oh, I remember the, the moment that character did that. And it, it's sort of nice to kind of read through and then bring forward into the newer books. And with writing for middle grade, Robin, I was interested to just find out, obviously, you've got a very interesting market there because you've got at that kind of age group, you've got some people who are almost some of the children who are kind of reaching for some of the older material, depending on their their interest and how much they've read, you know, from an early age. When when you're writing, how do you manage to stay in middle grade? Because it must be very hard to sometimes not like, especially when you're writing about murder. Yeah, I mean, uh, I really work hard to keep it um, not not gory. I generally. Um, in quite a few of the books, I played do the trick where the body vanishes; it it, it goes away somewhere, so that the kids can't actually go and like peer at a corpse. Um, so I, I sort of try to keep it as much um, much of a puzzle as I can. I mean, there are bodies, and it's acknowledged in all the books that you know some people really are dead. Um, but I also try to make sure that it feels like a puzzle, it's like a game, or something a bit fun as well as something um, quite real. So I'm always kind of trying to walk that tightrope. But also middle grade, um, I think you can get away with a whole lot if you just sort of keep the perspective right, keep the perspective childlike. Um, and you can talk about stuff that you know is going to go over the head of younger viewer, younger readers even. Um, they're just not going to care. They're not going to be interested. And a, a slightly older reader, an adult reader might just read something else into what you're saying, something that a child would miss. Um, so it's like an extra special Easter egg for older, older readers rather than having stuff that would sort of upset younger readers. That that said, I went to school in North London when I was a child about their age, and I used to see bodies all the time. So it's um, that's the thing. Kids, kids are kids watch the news. Kids are very, very up on what's happening in the world, and you know things that are happening among adults, um, which is really what the series is all about for me. It's about kids watching adults and trying to understand the adult world. Um, and I do that from a child's perspective, but I'm I'm doing something that I think that every kid is doing, which is try to understand the adults that are around them. Okay, so book five, Mistletoe and Murder, is out now. 
which is very exciting. And that's incredible to me that you've, you've written five such brilliant books in such a short period of time. What's next for you? Is it more Wells and Wong? Is it more... Or, what you, what, or is there something special on the horizon? Um, well, what's next for me is partly more Wells and Wong. I have um, a sixth book is going to come out next year. I will be shortly writing that. Um, I also have a book of short stories coming out um, in from that world, which is coming out in the spring of 2017. Um, but what is immediately next for me in terms of novels is um, I've been asked by uh, the Siobhan Dowd estate to write the sequel to her book, um, her middle grade uh, mystery, The London Eye Mystery, which is a phenomenal book. Um, it's having its 10th anniversary year in 2017. Um, it's just the most wonderful, wonderful book. Um, she was originally signed up to write two novels and she died before she could um, even start the second one. So I've taken that on um, and it's going to be called The Guggenheim Mystery set in New York um, in 2007 and uh, with a boy detective called Ted. And that's coming out um, in August. And I'm about to start working on the second draft of that and doing the entirely rewriting most of it <laughs> thing. But it's it's been the most fantastic um, sort of it's been a nice step away from the world I've created into something else and kind of have, have a new challenge, but know that I can go back to Hazel and Daisy. Oh, that's amazing, Robin. And, you know, you've been so inspiring today because it's so lovely to hear a successful published author telling us that that first draft is always really, really bad. So it gives us hope, doesn't it, Mark? Definitely does. Um, I'm feeling very inspired now. Definitely. Now, if, um, if you had one top tip that you could leave for the writers out there listening to this, what might that be? I would say, on top of everything else I've already told you, um, the main thing when you're thinking about Nano, when you're writing Nano, is write the book that you want to read. Write something that you're going to love writing. Write something that's going to make you excited. Because 60,000 words or 90,000 or 120,000, those are a lot of words. And that's a lot of days sitting in front of the computer. So you might as well enjoy yourself, write something that's really exciting. And I think that excitement will be passed on to the readers when they eventually have a look at it after you've edited it five times. Please edit your books. Brilliant. Wonderful. Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, maybe we can get you back in again when we've done our first draft and you can tell us how dreadful it is. Yes, please. <laughs> I'll be really nice about it. And best of luck with all of your um, amazing projects, Robin, and uh, wishing you all the success in the future as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, guys. Well, that was a really fascinating interview. And rather than do a big post-interview chat this week, uh, as we're getting towards the end of the NaNoWriMo season, we're going to give people an opportunity to get back to their seats writing. So if you're listening to this and you should be writing, now's your opportunity. And uh, we'd just also like to say that next week's show, we're actually going to do a full session on just me and Mark talking about our book. So make sure you tune into that one. And don't forget to nip over to our website, bestsellerexperiment.com, where we are compiling the very best of this show, the best tips from million-selling authors, million-selling publishers. And you can download your free copy. And then each week, we're going to be emailing you kind of updates of the summary of the best tips. So pop over to there. You can also join us on social media at Bestseller Experiment on Facebook and Bestseller XP at Twitter. And you can follow us on Twitter too. I'm at Mark Stay and Mr. DeVoe is at 4000 Saturdays, 4000 Saturdays. I have a blog as well uh, called Unusually Tall Stories and I write about writing stuff on there as well. 
And we'd like to thank again our sponsors of the show, Scrivener. If you are a serious writer, this is the tool for you. You've heard Mark and I are using this now for our novel. Pop over to literatureandlatte.com to find out more about Scrivener, both as a Mac and PC software and also the new iOS app. Also remember that you can pop over to our website to enter a number of different competitions that we've got live right now. You can win Michael Connolly's latest book, Signed, and we've also got Brian Cranston's memoir, A Life in Parts, signed, along with, are you ready for this, a pair of signed tighty whities So thank you so much for joining us. We hope you feel inspired coming on this journey with us. And we really appreciate you tuning in each week. So until next week, it's goodbye from me, Mark One. That's goodbye from me, Mark Two. Goodbye. Goodbye.